If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, I don't know what you're about to say. What's going on, man? What is going on? Darlie Rotier, a mother's portrayal. Arrest becomes her. It's quiet in the upper class subdivision of Dalrec Heights Edition in Rolette, Texas. The time is 2.36 a.m. and Darren is awakened out of his sleep to the sound of glass breaking and his wife screaming his name. It seems like the very first thing that I remember hearing is a glass break. And then this screaming, I mean this huge, loud screaming. Devin, 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 I mean just freaking. Darren jumped up, put on his glasses, put on a pair of jeans, and ran downstairs. Jarred me and, you know, I jumped up. I would run down the stairs as fast as I can. I looked up, I'm yelling at her, what the hell happened? What he discovered would be forever embedded into his head. You know, she grabs the phone, she's running back. He saw Darlie standing at the bottom of the stairs screaming, Devin, Devin, Devin. And her shirt was soaked in blood. He ran into the family room and saw blood everywhere. He immediately ran over to Devin's side. And when I get over to Devin, he's laying on the floor face up. And saw that his six-year-old had huge gashes in his chest. And he had been stabbed multiple times. He looked at his son's face and saw that his eyes were wide open. And he has these huge two gashes in the front and the top of his chest. And I see the coffee table bent over. He has no, no life in his. He checked his pulse and he could not find one, and attempted to give his son CPR. Now, during the trial, Darren stated that he had put his hands over his son's nose, blew into his mouth, and once he did that, blood splattered all over Darren's face. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh my God, I've got to get air into this this baby's body. And I go down to blow into into his mouth to give him CPR, cocked his head back, and as soon as I did, blood just spewed out of his chest. He knew that there was nothing else that he could do. He ran to his other son's side, Damon, age five, and saw that he had wounds everywhere on his body and that he was struggling to breathe. He began to do mouth-to-mouth CPR. Darren stated Darley brought wet towels to stop the bleeding and that she was trying to hold his chest together. I mean, she went straight to the phone, straight to the sink, get the towel. In the meantime... Darlie Routier had placed a 911 call to dispatchers 
claiming that someone broke into her home and stabbed and killed her two children. She was also observed running back and forth, screaming and hollering as she continued to bring Darren wet towels. When the first officer arrived on the scene, he was truly sickened by what he walked in on. He froze for a few seconds. Detective David Waddell observed what looked like a scene from the Carrie movie and that there was blood everywhere, he was quoted as saying. Uh, I saw the two boys in the living room floor. One of them obviously deceased uh, already. Um, the other one was moving along the floor. Just maybe almost like a slow crawl. He was bleeding, gurgling for breath. It was apparent that it was obvious that he was still alive. I'll never forget his face. He was looking up at us with his eyes open, gurgling blood, looking just like he was scared, his fear. He saw that Darley was holding a towel on her neck with one hand and talking on the telephone with the other. And she was standing a few feet away from him talking on the phone. He also saw the two boys and saw that one was laying face down on his stomach and he had his head turned where he was looking up and that his eyes were open and he made a gasping type noise. The other child showed no signs of life. Come back. Officer Waddell instructed Darley to put a towel across her son's chest to put pressure on the wound several times and she ignored him. Darley was asked who did this and she stated that she didn't know, but that Darley did, however, kept frantically telling Detective Waddell that the intruder might possibly be out in the garage. Officer Waddell then instructed Darren to render aid and to apply pressure on the wounds. He observed Darren get on his hands and knees beside the child, and it appeared like he was trying to give CPR and or was putting pressure on his wounds. Darren stated to Officer Waddell that it was no use, that he was blowing air right through his chest. At one point, I remember looking over at him to see if he was helping him, and he was doing CPR. With each breath, there was a shower of blood coming out of the little boy's chest. And it, was, it was obvious that he was, he was gone. Now, this story is a he said, she said, they said thing. What are you talking about? Waddell claims that Darren was not doing CPR on Devin and that there was no one tending to Damon. That's a lie. Darren claims Waddell was not assisting the children in any way and was only worried about Darley. Darley is heard in the 911 tape telling Darren to hurry, which would indicate he was not doing CPR. He was running up and down the stairs, either putting on his glasses or his pants, to which Darren's story changed on both of those items being on or off, or which came first. Really? But no mention of checking on baby Drake, who was upstairs alone. I was screaming, and I was trying to think of what, you know, what we needed to do to get our baby's help. Now, there was the issue of these wet towels that Darley was supposedly placing on the dying boys. And then I remember going over to Damon, and he was laying on his back. And I could see 
he had been stabbed in the back. And I lifted up his shirt and I put towels on his shirt and I just kept telling him, hang on, baby, hang on. She claimed she was wetting them over the sink and putting them on the boy's wound. But when the crime scene photos came back, there was only one towel next to Devin's body. And it was not on his back, nor wet. There were two more towels that have seemed to have blood on them, but they were found in the hallway. Where are the others? All the towels collected in the house only contained Darley's blood. Both Darren and officers testified that Darley was holding towels on her own wounds. And then another strange account is that Darley said she didn't even know she was stabbed until Damon was taken out of the house and into an ambulance. So which is it? You knew you were cut and were holding the towels or you didn't? A total of 21 towels and washcloths were found in the home. At the crime scene, investigators collected three damp towels from the utility room, two towels from the basket in the utility room, four washcloths from the top of the stairs, and three towels from the backyard spa. None of these were connected to the murders. Two hand towels were found and photographed in the hallway, but both only had Darley's blood on them where she had been holding them to her neck. Most of the towels were scattered around a good distance from the boys. Neither Devin nor Damon's blood was found on any of the towels. One towel and one washcloth were discovered to have blood on them, which were both identified as belonging to Darley. A green and white washcloth in the kitchen area is the one Officer Waddell observed Darley holding to her neck when he first entered the house. Darley had obviously lied about placing a towel on Damon. It also appears that from the time Officer Waddell appeared on the scene to the time Darley was transported to the hospital, that she never attempted to render any kind of care to her dying son, Damon. Darley was standing by the bar between the kitchen and the living room. Um, I really wasn't concerned about her boys because she, she asked me about her jewelry that was sitting on the counter. She asked me if anybody had stolen her jewelry. The transcripts also suggest that Derek Rotier lied as well during his own testimony about the towels. Even the paramedics testified that there were no towels on either of the boys. Darley never mentioned anything about applying wet towels to anyone in her June 6. 1996 formal written statement to police. The wet towel story was born when Darren and Darley realized that the police had taken the kitchen sink as evidence. Darley was asked again to get towels and to apply them on the child's back to stop the bleeding. She was instructed several times to sit down or lie down. There's no other words to use. That's a lie. I told him to hold on. He's strong. And he said, okay, mommy. And she said, Waddell asked Darley for a description of the suspect. She stated that she didn't know if he was black or white, but that he was wearing a black shirt, dark pants, and a ball cap. 
Darlie told Waddell that she got into a fight with someone who broke into her home and that she fought him at the end of the bar and that he ran across the kitchen. At this time, the second responding officer, Sergeant Whaling, who was the shift supervisor, arrived on the scene. After being briefed on what happened and what he observed, the two went through the kitchen and into the garage to check to see if there was an intruder. I believe there was an intruder in the house until the, we actually searched the house and didn't find one. I thought he was, I thought he was still in the house. No intruder was found. The police did, however, find a screen that appeared to be cut right down the center. They began to search inside the home, leaving no closet and no room untouched. Officers did observe in the kitchen a significant amount of blood. They also saw an overturned vacuum cleaner, a shattered glass, as well as a white long-handled knife laying on the kitchen counter. The investigators also noticed several pieces of expensive jewelry, as well as a purse laying next to the knife, all untouched. So what was the true motive? Seasoned investigators knew that a burglar would not walk past those flashy rings and go straight to massacring the family. A petty thief would simply find the nearest exit. Investigators began the process of searching and collecting evidence. They did what normally takes place at a crime scene, such as taping the area off, dusting for fingerprints, and collecting samples. The investigators did notice that a few things seemed off. Now, do you remember the screen that was split right down the center? Well, they noticed that the screen showed no evidence of being pushed or forced, or that a whole body would even fit through the screen let alone. The prosecution said there was an intruder there. There was no presence of an intruder there. They said the window sill, you know, was not disturbed. That window sill is maybe nine, ten inches off the ground. And what's more perplexing is that the screen's frame is easily removable. Now, the area underneath the window had no mulch, only rocks, but they were undisturbed meaning there is no evidence that someone was standing on it or walking through it. On the other side of that same window, there was dust on the ledge and the surrounding area, showing no disturbance, as well as no fingerprints, no blood, no nothing. As you can see, there's no mulch underneath the window. The mulch is at least six to seven feet over in this direction. And this is a window sill that they said that was not disturbed. And as you can see, you can walk right through this window without disturbing any of the window sills. Now, in the living area, the lead investigator found that the scene looked less like a struggle and more like a staging. Now, remember, there was also very expensive jewelry, such as rings, a watch, and a bracelet that was sitting on the counter next to the knife in the kitchen. There was also no blood trail leading from the house. The lead investigators took all of this into consideration. What was even more red flaggish is the fact that Darley changed her story about what happened when the lead investigators made a visit to interview her at the hospital. Once upon a time. Darley was most definitely singing a different tune this time around. Within a few months, Darley had told a total of six different versions of waking up on the couch. 
Story number one, Darlie testified in court that Damon woke her up on the couch, pulling on her nightshirt and saying, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. Then she looked over and saw a man walking away through the kitchen going toward the utility room. My little boy, Damon, he was pressing on my shoulder and he was saying, Mommy. I sat straight up and he said that. I saw the guy starting to walk away from me. Now, story number two. She told her friend, Barbara Jovell and Karen Neal, as well as two nurses at the hospital, that she heard Damon going, Mommy, 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 and she felt pressure on her legs. She said she opened her eyes and a man was swinging a knife straight down at her throat. She further said that if she hadn't put up her arm, he would have killed her. And she didn't mention this in her trial testimony. Story three, she told Rolette police officer Matt Walling and later Barbara Jovell a second time that she woke up to an intruder sitting on her legs and added, he was rubbing a knife blade on my face. I think that I tried to fight with a man and I think that he either knocked me unconscious or I think that when, you know, he slit my throat or whatever, I think I um, passed out. Not mentioned in her trial testimony. Story four. In Darley's written statement to police, two days after the murder, she never mentions anything about Damon saying, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. She states that she woke up to Damon pushing her on her shoulder and crying. Now, story five, Darlie told her husband, Darren, that she first woke up from the weight of an intruder sitting on her legs on the couch where she had a brief struggle with him. Can you imagine waking up out of your sleep with a man attacking you? Story six. Then in her 2020 prison interview, she stated she woke up giving no reason as to why she saw a man going into the utility room. As I came to, I remember seeing a man. He was going into the utility room. I could see the side of him. I could see a baseball hat. At that time, I didn't know what was happening, but I felt, you know, like a, a panic. So 24 years later, after the murders and her conviction, she's still changing her story. Now, Darlie also told four different versions of fighting the intruder. Version number one, she told Officer David Waddell that she fought with the intruder at the end of the kitchen bar, which was faced in the family room. Version two, she told Officer Matt Whaling she fought with the intruder at the couch while she was laying on it. The original story on the 911 tape was that she woke up and she began fighting with the man at the couch. Version 3, in her formal written statement to police dated June 6, 1996, she never once mentions fighting any intruder. She states Damon woke her up. She saw a man standing at her feet. He walked past her through the kitchen, through the utility room, and out through the garage. The next thing I remember is Damon on my shoulder, and he was pushing on my shoulder, and he was saying, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. And when I first, you know, woke, I could see a man that was going into the kitchen. Well, I got up, 
As I got up, Damon followed behind me, and by the time I got to the corner of the kitchen, I could see the man going out into the utility room, out into the garage. And version four. On the 911 tape, she told the dispatcher that she fought with the intruder, but didn't specify a location. And she was recorded saying fighting. But on the stand, Darley corrected her own words and said she never said fighting. She said frightened. When the officers come to the scene, she says that she woke up, she chased this man and fought with him in the kitchen. So you see, now we have a progression to the fact that she woke up and she saw a man walking away from her with no struggle. Now, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, Darley told two different versions about her standing at the kitchen sink. Version number one, Darley initially told police investigators that she never stood at the kitchen sink, despite her blood being found on it, in it, and around it. And version number two, then when police investigators physically removed the sink from the house to take it to the lab for testing, Darley suddenly remembers the same day they removed it and most likely from the advice of counsel that she was in front of the sink supposedly wetting these towels to place on the boys, which there's no evidence of this ever having occurred. Once we darkened the kitchen down and applied the luminol, we were able to see uh, footprints there in front of the sink. The blood evidence in front of the sink indicated to us that someone had bled, had stand there in front of the sink significant amount of time bleeding and not moving around. There was blood drops on top of blood drops in the floor in front of the sink. The nursing staff also questioned Darley and whether she showed any signs of emotion. Some staff were quoted as saying that she seemed far removed from despair, almost cold with emotion. When she came out of surgery, and they told us that she was stable. We were at Darley's side and she was a little bit groggy from just having the surgery and she wanted to touch the boy's picture and just cry and cry. And she was asking, why God, why my boys, why my boys? Another staff member noted that when her mother and sister came to visit, they were both hysterical and crying and that Darley was not and that she never even grabbed a tissue during her hospital stay. The police at this point were undeniably positive that Darley was leading as their prime suspect. The day of her children's wake, Darley and Darren were routed to the station for further questioning. Detectives did note that she made another change to her statement. She was quoted as saying that Damon was still standing on his feet when he started calling her mommy. Her statement was 10 pages long, but it was missing some major key points of her story that would later be added on as more parts. Now on the stand, Darley says she rushed through the statement because she just wanted to get to her son's viewing, and she didn't realize how important the statement would become later. And she said, if you look at her previous handwriting, you can tell it was always neat. And this time, her writing was absolutely sloppy. But yet, she wrote 10 pages. Per the Rotier's housekeeper, who attended the wake, stated that she went to tell Darley that she was so sorry for her loss, and that Darley made a comment about the added expenses being thrown on top of their money issues. And she was thrown completely off by a remark that she would later testify as to Darley saying, I'm not worried. 
I'll get $5,000 for each of the boys. I remember my, my legs just giving out from under me when I saw Devin and Damon in the casket. They looked like they were sleeping, but they were so cold. I remember just touching them and kissing them and talking to them and just just didn't seem it just didn't seem real. The detectives had placed a microphone inside the boy's casket and Darley was heard saying sorry. But because these recordings were obtained illegally, they were not allowed to be considered. Now the heat was turning up in this case and the Rowlett Police Department was pretty adamant at pointing the finger at Darley. Lead detective once again referred back to the physician who took the photos of Darley's wounds. Although Darley did have bruising from her wrists all the way up to her armpits, she did have a few that appeared superficial. The hospital staff including the surgeon, said that Darley did not have those bruises that were later shown in jail photos and that the bruises were 24 to 48 hours old and could not have happened the day of the murders. As if to say Darley created those on her own. Now, Darley's wounds were more consistent with surface and hesitation wounds. For those of you who don't know what a hesitation wound is... It is a wound that is indicated that the blade was deliberately and slowly cutting into the skin and that the natural reflexes of the body would have kicked in and kicked that blade right out. The icing on the cake that led to Darley's arrest was the bizarre birthday party that was held for one of her unloving sons. There was a pastor there to say a few words and towards the end, Darley was captured on camera laughing and smiling and singing and carrying on as if she was having a great time. He wanted to be seven. I did the only thing I knew to do to honor him and give him auspicious because he wasn't here anymore. But how do you know what you're going to do when you lose two children? How do you know how you're going to act and who's to say there's a rule book to grieving? Who's to say if you don't follow these guidelines, that makes you a bad parent, or that makes you a murderer? ...which took maybe 20 seconds. They sang Happy Birthday, and you hear Darlie and Darren Buzz saying... Love you, Devin and Damon. You know, just like they're still there. Darlie even began to shoot out silly strings all over the grave sites. The lead investigators thought that Darley was mocking the fact that she got away with murder. It was very clear that the police honed in on her. On June 18, 1996, Rowlett police detectives asked Darley and Darren to come into the police station to write their formal reports and answer additional questions. They were taken into separate rooms. Darren was actually taken back to the scene of the crime to show investigators his account in live time. Later that night, at 10.20 p.m., Darley was arrested and charged with two counts of capital murder. She was immediately placed into custody at the Lou Starlet Justice Center to await indictment. The arrest report was written by the officers that were arresting her. It was quite short. Now, it was one paragraph that stated 
that the defendant was arrested at the Rowlett PD at 4401 Rowlett Road for capital murder arrest warrant. Defendant was booked accordingly, arraigned, and transported to Dallas County Jail. Now, the prosecution had decided to move forward with the charge pertaining to the youngest child of the two. It was because of the young age that they would be able to ask for the death penalty sentence. That evening, Sergeant Dean Poos, public information officer for the Rowlett Police Department, issued the following press release. Mic check one, two. On the morning of Thursday, June 6, 1996, an investigation began into the murders of Damon and Devin Routier. A significant event has now occurred in this very intensive investigation. At approximately 10.20 p.m. this evening, investigators from the Rowlett Police Department arrested Darlie Routier, white female, age 26. At approximately 10.20 p.m. this evening, investigators from the Rowlett Police Department arrested Darlie Routier. We believe that the white male suspect described by Darlie Routier as the man that attacked her and murdered her children never existed. We also believe that the wounds present on Darlie Routier were self-inflicted. Mrs. Routier has been charged with two counts of capital murder stemming from the stabbing deaths of her sons, Damon, age 5, and Devin, age 6. This arrest is the result of the most intensive and exhaustive investigation ever conducted by the Rowlett Police Department. This is Killer Lashes with Tati and Asha. Stay tuned to next week's episode. But before we leave, what we want to know is, why was Darlie's DNA the only other DNA found on the murder weapon and on objects throughout the house? What is the reason for multiple versions of each segment of her story? Darren and Darlie were so adamant about using the towels when the paramedics and the officers clearly testified there were no towels. What reason would the officials have to lie? Is the sink and the superficial wounds connected somehow? Who would believe that Darlie would inflict those defensive wounds and bruises on her arms after the fact? All we want to know is what would drive a mother to kill her own children? Until then, Killer Lashes signing off. I think people have this idea that the death penalty is going to bring a sense of peace, a sense of healing. And what I've learned as a victim is that that peace, that healing, it all has to come from inside you. I mean, personally, I couldn't sit and watch another human being gasp his last breath, electrocuted, whatever the method is, and walk out of there and feel a sense of, of goodness about that, of, of peace about that. To me, it would just be another, I mean, they can't give me Devin and Damon back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks like we Look how far we've come, my baby. I'm glad we didn't listen. Look at what we would be missing. Listen, I feel they'll never make it. But just look at us go and hold. We're still together 
Still cold and strong Still the one, you're still the one I want To the one that I belong to You're still the one I want Oh, love Still the one, you're still the one that I love The only one I dream of You're still the one I kiss Good night